just wanted to take a few minutes to touch on the gifts of the Spirit and a desire among all of us to move more in the power of the Spirit. Those of you who have been part of teachings, whether in person or remotely, you can tell me when it was in all of his ministry that Jesus was filled with great and exceeding joy. When was it? Luke 10, when the 70 returned, having moved in the gifts of the Spirit. And what did Jesus see when, for the first time in history, a group, a coordinated group of 70 individuals operated in the gifts of the Spirit to cast out the power of Satan from people's lives. What did he see? What was the vision that he saw? He saw the prince of darkness coming down. And he saw the kingdom of God rising up. We said in the first teaching that a descriptive passage that depicts the kingdom is Jesus saying, if I cast out the devil by the finger of God, by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Showing that the dominion is spiritual and not natural. And I believe that in the 21st century, in this day, if we want to see the kingdom of darkness fall so fast that it looks like grease lightning, we've got to learn to move in the gifts of the Spirit. And as we move in those gifts of the Spirit, we're going to give the Lord the same joy, the exceedingly great joy that He had when the apostles, when the 70 first moved in this capacity. But somebody says, how do I move in the Spirit? I've perhaps been baptized in the Spirit. I've perhaps prayed and spoken in other tongues and felt the presence of God. We, we feel the presence of God with us this morning, don't we? How do I move in the gifts of the Spirit? How do I move in the grace of the Spirit? And I want to suggest that there's a way of seeking this that is flawed from the very beginning. And it's this notion that I need God to be more powerful in my life. That's not untrue, but it's coming at it backwards. What I need is I need me to be more responsive to God. God is real. And those who come to Him must believe two things. That He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The reason people are not as moved by God today is not because God has changed His interaction with mankind to be less than it was in the days of Abraham or Moses. No, that's not why. The reason people are less moved is because they don't have the same honor that they had in those days. They don't have the same hunger and need that they had in those days. And they don't have the same sensitivity and responsiveness that they had in those days. Did you hear what Brother Dan read? It says that the people shouted and sang responsively. 
responsively. These were not people who sat there like bumps on a log demanding that God become more powerful. These were people who were hungering and thirsting for a drop of water from the Lord. And when it came, wow, it affected them. It produced a response in them. I've given the example in years past, but it's so good that I'm going to give it again, that if you've ever been a kid and you've ever flown a kite, how many of you have ever done that, flown a kite? Even the kids can raise your hands. How many of us like to fly a kite? I loved flying a kite when I was a kid. It was one of my favorite things. And how many of you know that in order to get that kite in the air and keep that kite in the air, it's got to be made out of very lightweight material? The responsiveness of that kite becomes paramount if it could be lifted by the wind and kept in the air. How many of you know, kids, how many of you know that if you made that kite out of lead, you could run across the fields all, all day long and you'd never get it in the air? Christians are made out of lead today. They're made out of stubborn, complacent, stiff, weighty material. And God wants us to lighten up and be more responsive to his presence. If you want to be carried along by a mighty rushing wind, lose some of that spiritual heaviness, that spiritual density that doesn't move with the Lord, doesn't move, isn't going to sing or shout responsively as they did in the days of Ezra. You look at something like a tree and and its branches and, and the leaves on those branches and and how those leaves tremble and quake and the whole tree will start to shake. But look how thin those leaves are. Make those leaves out of steel and they can have the same shape. You can even paint them the same color and you can hang them on the branches the same way and the whole tree is going to droop there. And that's what the church looks like. A tree with leaves made out of steel. Right color, right shape, but drooping down. The strongest wind can do nothing but maybe tip it over with a great crash. But you make a leaf like God made a leaf. And there's nothing more beautiful than standing under a birch tree as the leaves begin to tremble at the slightest breeze. We need to be more responsive to God. So the first thing, if you want God to be more powerful in your life, look inside and say, God, am I responsive to your presence? Have I cultivated an awareness of your presence? We heard about how Moses turned aside to look and how the Lord didn't speak to him until he turned aside to look. He could have gone by presumably and never heard God, but the Lord only began to speak as he turned aside to look. And what does the Bible say? And Moses trembled at the sight. How does Isaiah put it? That the Lord is near to those who tremble at his word. You see, 
you've got to have a certain hunger. You've got to have a certain need and desire for the life and presence of God, for the word and answer of the Lord before you're going to tremble at the answer, before you're going to tremble at the sight, before you're going to be like one of those leaves in the wind that can be carried along by the Holy Spirit. And isn't that the goal, to be carried not by our own unction, but by the wind of the Holy Spirit, by the Ruach of the Holy Spirit, praise you, Jesus, by the Numa of God. Thank you, Lord. The wind blows where it wishes. You know not whither it cometh from or whither it goeth, but you hear the sound of it. So is it with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So there's a humility and there's a shedding of pride. There's a shedding of spiritual density. There's a lightning. There's a, a desperation for God. Thank you, Lord. How many of you know that when you really desire something and you're excited to see something, you're quick on your feet? And how many of you know that you lack that energy when internally you could care less? Somebody comes to you and and says, well, somebody comes to my kids. I have six kids at home. And somebody come bursts into the room and says, Mommy wants you to clean up the living room. And the kids are like, okay, we're coming. Somebody bursts into the same room to the same kids and says, it's snowing outside. Pow! This reveals that responsiveness exposes desire. If you have a hunger and a thirst for God, when he starts to speak, you're going to be on your feet. You're going to be on the edge of your seat. You're going to be ready to go. But when you remain like a bump on a log, it just shows that you don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. It just shows that you're not like David. As the deer pants for the water, so doth my soul pant for you, O God. If it's been too long since it snowed and you love the joy and the play of snow, you're going to be on your feet as soon as the first flake hits the ground. And if it's been too long since you've heard the word of God and it's been too long since he's moved you out of the place that you're in into the place of his purpose, you're going to be on your feet when he first starts speaking to you. You're going to be rushing through the door, but your responsiveness is going to show the intensity of your desire. So God make us lightweight. God make us hunger and thirst and make us responsive. What I'm really saying is God help us to repent and make ourselves these things. I found that Christians love to demand of God what he's asked of them. Jesus found a man who was blind and he spit on the ground and smeared mud in his eyes. And if he had been you or me, or most Christians, Jesus would have said, go to the pool of Shiloh and wash. And he would have sat there right where Jesus talked to him and just said, God, I just believe that you can wash this for me. No, God doesn't want you to sit there and believe he can do what he told you to do. You get up off your seat and go down there and clean that off. And so many of us, that's how we're approaching a, a greater walk in the Spirit. God, I just believe that you can do this for me. 
And he's saying, no, I already poured out my spirit on you. But you need to get off this complacent seat where you sit and get into motion where God can meet you. God told you to do something. Are you doing it? Here's the next thing I want to say to you. Power is going to come upon you as you love beyond your means. Is this a phrase that you use in German, don't live beyond your means, when you refer to money? You know, somebody comes to you and says, man, Josiah, I don't have enough money in my life, and my wife and I are just going into debt, and I got this much on the credit card. And the first thing Josiah is going to say to them as a pastor is, well, are you living beyond your means? Are you trying to live beyond your means? Because God has budgeted something for you that, that is your, your budget, your salary, whatever it is that you're making. Are you living within the constraints of that budget? Everybody recognizes the legitimacy of that perspective when it comes to money. Because money is a finite resource and God only gives you a little bit. But that's not how it is when it comes to the Spirit. In fact, power is going to meet you and anoint you when you consciously decide, I am going to love and serve and give beyond my means. Look at the people who got the miracle in the days of Jesus. They were people who reached for something that they didn't have. But when they got to the end of themselves, they didn't stop. They kept going until God came through and anointed them with his power. You think of the Syrophoenician woman. The whole reason her daughter was healed is because she loved this this kid. She loved her daughter. And she was determined that a victory and a healing was going to come to her daughter. She was loving beyond her means. She was loving with a love that kept saying, there's more for my daughter. There's more here, God. She didn't have it, but it didn't imprison her love. Her small budget didn't imprison her love. She kept loving, and that drove her to Jesus. And at first, that didn't seem like an open door either, but that didn't stop her. She kept coming and coming and coming until that love ultimately released the power of God. Now, we are told by Paul that faith works by love. Love is the fuel for the engine of faith. Now, I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but how many of you have seen somebody up here? I could name anybody up here. I'll pick on Regina for the, for the time being. How many of you have seen Sister Regina yielding to the anointing in song? And you know that the same grace that was on David's singers and that was on the New Testament believers is here again, and you feel the power of the Holy Spirit as she sings. Come on, raise your hand. And how many of you have wondered, I wonder if I could yield to God like that? Come on, go ahead, get it up there. Okay, you know why she you know why that's happening? Because she cares. She cares. The faith that moves God's gifts is itself moved by God's love. 
And if you want to learn to move in the gifts of the Spirit, you got to learn to give a hoot. You got to learn to care. You got to take responsibility. If she came here as a spectator to your event, and you guys had poor music or good music, if she was a spectator and it was, she was just there to watch what you're doing, well, then that's all she would be. But she comes with some sense that God is good and that his people are needy and that God wants to meet those needs by his grace. And so she's unable to sit there in her complacency, love, Oh, love is what drives that burden. Love is what ignites that faith. And faith is what activates that gift. So you got love is the fuel, faith is the engine, and the gift is the vehicle. But you're, you can't have a, I mean, a, an engine without a vehicle is kind of silly, and that's faith without a gift. Amen. But an engine without fuel is even more silly. We've all been that on the side of the road, right? So if you feel like you're not moving in the gifts of God, you need to acknowledge God wants to increase your love. You are complacent toward the people of God. You are complacent toward the needs around you. How many of you know that a miracle started from Jesus when he looked on the people and he felt something? He had compassion. The miracle of the 5,000 started when he looked out on the people and he's like, oh, God, these people are hungry. They're going to faint if they try to get home on this little food. You want to preach like God wants you to preach? Look on the congregation and say, oh, God, your people need something. They're going to faint if they try to live on this garbage. God, help me to get a hold of something from you. You look on the people and you say, somebody's down, somebody's hurting. Love, compassion for God's people is going to make you sing that song like it matters. And the devil's always going to be on your shoulder telling you you don't matter. And you don't, but God does. God does. Amen. One drop of water can bring an ocean of change, the song says. And when you doubt God's love and you doubt God's grace and his spirit, that's not humility. That's not humility. When the Lord tells you, when the Lord moves your heart to love somebody or to give a service, give something for your brother in a meeting, and you don't do it, that's not humility. Don't sell yourself so well. That's not humility. That's just smug, complacent, heavy, stiff, lead-like pride. That's all it is. You can say, but I don't feel proud. I feel fearful. Fearful of what? Losing your image? Love like that woman whose daughter was sick until you have no image left to lose. You just got to see the miracle come to pass. Thank you, Jesus. Is anybody responsive to what God is speaking to us right now? If you're waiting until you're not fearful to do God's will, well, you're always going to wait, and you're always going to be fearful. Faith is not the absence of fear. Fear is just, what does the Bible tell us that faith is? Let's just start there. Yeah, how does it come to us? Faith comes how? Hearing what? Of, same with fear. Fear comes by hearing and hearing the word of the devil. Fear is just faith in the word of the devil. That's all it is. It's just believing 
a word that a liar told you and acting or remaining inactive based on that word. So faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is just a word more powerful than the devil's, that's all. Don't you think the whole time, don't you think the whole time that lady was chasing after Jesus and hearing the apostles tell the Lord, please tell her to be quiet and go away? Don't you think there was a voice inside her head that was saying this is useless? Here you are, this lady from Tyre, coming after a Jew who thinks you're a dog. Just go home. Don't you think there was a voice telling her to go home? I can't hear you. And that was the voice of the devil. And that voice brought about some fear. But there was a louder voice in her ear. There was a voice of love saying, you can't go home without an answer. You can't be okay with the way things have been. And so this louder voice just kept pushing her past her fear, past her unbelief. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Until she got the Lord's attention. And she had to humble herself. She had to humble herself before she got that attention. Even when she got his attention, it didn't happen just like that. And it never does. It very rarely does. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody says, well, I, I think I might should stand up in a meeting and sing, but I just feel a lot of fear, and I'm afraid it's not the right time. Well, of course you feel a lot of fear. Your image is on the line. So you need to die to that first and say, Lord, I'm okay with losing my image. I'm okay with getting it wrong. I'm not okay with quenching your spirit. I'm not okay with being indifferent toward desperate needs around me. We need more care. We need more responsiveness. Amen? We need more love. We need to care about God's purpose. You hear me, brothers and sisters? Listen, seven years ago, my dad was undergoing chemotherapy. And he was laid out on his gurney with a port in his chest. And my mom and my brothers and myself were there around him. And uh, he said to me, you're going to South Africa in a week, this next week, right? And I said, yes, sir, that's the plan, though I don't need to go, Dad. He said, I insist, you must, you need to go. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, have you ever thought about going to Israel on your way to South Africa? I said, well, that's amazing. Last night at the cafe, Josiah and I, said, should we, this time, should we consider stopping in Israel on our way to South Africa? He said, did you hear about the report that this guy named Jonathan just gave to Brother Zafrir? He read, So You Want Community, I think it was. Is that what you, and he said, he said, did you hear about this? And this is 2015. And so, we, I, he said, if you can do it, I think you should do it. I think you should stop in Israel on your way to South Africa or whatever. Yeah, yeah this is on your way home from South Africa. So I called up Josiah or text, sent him a text right there from the hospital, and I said, let's try to make this happen. Let's try to go through Israel on our way. And, and so we went to South Africa. The Lord did a great work, and, and uh, we were in Tiberias. I'd never been in Israel. It was quite a shock to me to be here, and, and uh, 
So we were down by Tiberius, Josiah and Randy and Caleb and myself, and um, we were going to meet these five guys from uh, from Israel, from a community here in Israel, and uh, and and we're there, and they came down, and I tell you, when I saw them coming down, I felt these are your brothers. I really did. I it, it really struck me. I felt more than I had expected to feel, and so we chatted and enjoyed some nasty fish there on the, on the, just wasn't cooked well, but um, I'd like to go in and teach him how to cook that, but no, but we enjoyed some food down there on the, on the, the shore of Galilee, and then we went up to our rented house there in Tiberias, and we were sitting around talking that night, Brother Michael, where's Brother Michael? Hi, Brother Michael, and Jonathan was there, and Freedy, you were there, weren't you? Or was that the next night? You were there the next day. Yeah. Stefan, where's Stefan? Stefan was there. Isaac was there. Amen. Brother Tim Grau was there. And I remember I'd never met these people. Didn't have any history. We were feeling the, the love of God, and somebody served coffee, and we were talking. And, and um, all of a sudden, I felt this feeling come over me. And this word from God. And I didn't say it out loud. I didn't say it to anybody. But I felt, I, I suddenly remembered a congregation that had come that close to receiving the truth of God's Holy Spirit in their midst. And had rejected it. And I remembered my dad saying, that congregation will not last they will be torn apart like by a hurricane because you can't make it without the Spirit. And I remembered that, and I, that same feeling came on me. I looked around, and I said, this, this conviction settled upon me. And I felt the Lord saying to my heart, if this opportunity is missed by these people, they will never have it again. And suddenly, it wasn't this casual thing that was about them or about me or us. There was this urgency. There was this care. There was this sense that something must happen here. And honestly, I would not have described any of them as possessing an excess amount of faith. Not one of them. Um, but I, because of that feeling, I began to tell the story of Brother Rowan in South Africa, this Baptist pastor who had received repentance and then the Holy Spirit. And something changed that night. And before we knew it, people started receiving the Spirit in the following days. And because of that, we're sitting here today. And... When David came down to, feed, to give grain and cheese to his brothers and to get a report of the war, he did not have a preconception in his mind that he was going to become the king. He didn't even have a preconception that he was going to be a warrior and take out Goliath. He didn't even know the name Goliath. But he must have had some regard 
and commitment to God's honor and God's purpose for Israel so that all that had to happen is he had to get within earshot of the devil and feel the threat. And something came up from inside of him that he didn't even know was there. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who would defy the armies of God? Is there not a cause in Israel? What will be done to the man who takes this bozo out? And so what I'm saying is you've got to care. You've got to believe in the purpose of God. You have to believe in the church that God envisions when as yet you're just a band of small band of folks. You've got to live as a warrior of an army that doesn't yet exist. You've got to live as a king of a kingdom that doesn't yet exist. You've got to believe in the vision and the promise of what God wants to do in the earth. And when that is in you deeply, when that possesses your core, then you don't have to over-prepare and overthink and over-anything. Just get within earshot of the devil. Just get within earshot of unbelief. Just hear the sound of negativity. Just listen to the, the, the fear that comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the enemy. And something is going to come up inside of you, an anointing of indignation, and you're going to say, is there not a cause in Israel? You've got to believe in it, brothers and sisters. And I've got to reverse this on you. If you don't have that in your life, that evidences a lack of commitment and vision and awareness of what God has called you to. The stupendous, earth-changing mission he has put on you. David came down as a nobody, as a servant, and that's just the kind of person God's looking for. But he had this commitment to the kingdom in his heart. And when he heard the devil, the voice of a prophet stirred inside, and the vigor of a warrior came to his bones, and the calling of a king was upon him. You don't know who you are, and you'll never find out who God made you to be until you believe in his promise, until you give yourself to the vision for this time, for his people, for his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. If that becomes your chief joy, if you can say with the exiles in Babylon, if I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill and let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth if I do not apprise Jerusalem above all my joys. If you can say that, then all you need to do is bring that care into proximity to the devil's intimidation and something's going to erupt from inside. I'm telling you, I heard the devil laughing at us that night in Tiberias. I heard the devil say, <laughs> you came all the way over here and nothing's going to happen. These guys are going to be out of the church in a matter of time. I hate to tell you that was the other thing that went through my mind. I believe you, most of those guys were not on their way in. They were on their way out. Amen. And you can correct me if you think I was wrong, but that's what I felt like the Lord showed me. 
these guys are not heading in the right direction. And I thought, God help us. God help us. And you'll never know anointing until you come under that burden. (laughs) Don't pray, Lord, increase my gifts. Pray, Lord, increase my sensitivity and my responsiveness. Don't pray, Lord, increase my gifts. Don't pray, Lord, increase your power. Pray, Lord, increase my love. Increase my care and increase my awareness of your purpose in my life for your people in this land for this time. Hallelujah. Can we pray it right now? Can we pray and ask the Lord? I listened yesterday to Brother Daniel Link move and speak under a prophetic anointing when he was sharing. And I just praise God. I know that comes from a burden. Amen. And if you want that power to be in every sphere of your life, you got to come under that same burden. You can't say, well, those are our leaders and we are the followers. He has made us to be kings and priests in the kingdom of my God. You have a responsibility. And if we don't all come together, this ain't going to happen. You have been called to the kingdom for a time like this. Yes, God will raise up somebody else. But the word came to you, and you will be forever responsible. This word this morning is coming to your ears. How can you go back? How can you pretend you didn't hear it? Don't you feel the purpose of God? Are you okay with the idea that the public in this area would not see a true expression of Jesus and his body on the earth? Is is that okay with you? Oh, God, that's not okay with me. Are you okay that your brother would fall? Your brother's not going to stand by platitudes. Your sister's not going to overcome by principles. Go back to dead religion if that's what you're going to live by. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood, which translated means the devil's at war with us. And we got to get a hold of something from God. We got to get songs that come from the heart of God and words that come from the heart of God and dreams that come from the heart of God. We got to get a burden that comes from the heart of God. And if we get the heart of love and care, if we give a care about what God has promised, faith works by love. You think your faith doesn't work? Increase your love and it'll work. It'll get you right out of that slump where you're in. More importantly, it'll help your brother. Thank you, Jesus. You're going to be taking the tiles off a roof somewhere. And sure, the voice of doubt's going to be saying, nothing's going to happen if you do this. But the voice of love's going to be saying, Jesus is down there, and I'm going to get my friend in front of him. Thank you, Jesus. God help us. I don't want anybody in this room to say we need more power in our lives. I want you to think that thought and repent and say, God, please forgive me for being so heavy and laden with myself. Because I know you are powerful enough if I'll just lighten up and respond to you, God. Thank you, Jesus. I can't tell you how many times as I learned to minister, I would sit in my seat, having tried in the last meeting and failed epically, and I would sit in my seat and say, I'm not going to testify. I'm not going to testify. I'm not going to. And I would be testifying. 
because if you put yourself, the, the very first time I ever ministered, I was 16 years old, and I was sitting out there, and, and there was this crowd of elderly people in their 70s and 80s, and none of them had what they needed to die. They were mean. They were selfish. They were competitive with each other. They would stab each other, backbite about each other, talk ugly. That's not how you want to die. And I, I'm coming from the church, and I'm coming from my parents' household a place of love and power and victory. And I was part of a group who went and sang for them, but I didn't sing. You're blessed, but I didn't sing. And so I'm, I would sit out there with the old folks. And I remember sitting there and, and one meeting saying, oh, God, shame on me if I let them think that you're this powerless on the earth. Shame on me if they die and I didn't tell them. They could be changed. They could be different. They could have love. They could have grace. And before I knew it, I was saying something, and I assure you it didn't make much sense. God doesn't need much sense. He needs somebody who loves, who won't stop until they get a hold of him. I want you to believe in your heart that God chose this group we're not the better version of what you're supposed to be. You're the one God chose to be the church in Israel. Can I get a witness? You're the people with your background and your history. Nothing you went through was for a mistake. Everything you went through was God's providential purpose teaching you, training you. Be thankful for the steps of those who came before you and don't stop where they stopped, but keep going all the way to Jerusalem. You're not the Lord's second best. You're the one he chose. You didn't choose him. He chose you and appointed you for this purpose and for this time. Rib that sniveling, snaky, wormy lie. Oh, Jacob, you worm, the Bible says. Knock it off. He says, the Lord is with you, oh, mighty man of valor, to a little coward sniveling in a wine press. And that's what the Lord is saying to us. Increase your love. Increase your sensitivity. Have no thought for yourself. Believe in the promise. Believe in the vision. Believe in the army when as yet you're the only man moving toward the purpose. But you're more than one. You're a whole bunch. Praise God. Somebody's got faith in this room, don't you? 